it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. I hope you had a great weekend, everybody. It's hard not to watch all the turbulence around the world and let it affect you, but I hope you were able to get back in action. And thanks so much for listening to this show. Jonathan Turley is going to be with us at the bottom of the hour. Senator James Lankford is standing by. And uh, we're watching all the events that are taking place today, including the Saudi defense minister, who's a brother of MBS, who's going to be meeting with Secretary of State, the National Security Advisor, and some others uh, about going forward what's happening in Gaza, which is fine. We have a lot to discuss, so let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. What we know is that James Biden received about $600,000 from a foreign health care company. Joe Biden gets a check of about $200,000 during the same time period that James Biden is being paid. Those are the facts. Those are the facts. It's back. The investigation into the Biden family on track as payments to Joe. Suppression of 40 FBI investigations. Now a possible subpoena to Hunter Looms. Number two. Should something befall President Biden and he is not able to run, you are in the spot that that would be unnatural for you to step up. But we're hearing from donors that they would not naturally fall into line. Well, first of all, I'm not going to engage in that hypothetical because Joe Biden is very much alive. Uh, 2024, 53 weeks away, and the White House beginning to panic about the prospects of their foreign policy. And it's led to the failure everywhere and Bidenomics being a bust, which is why Biden now has his first established establishment can challenger. Meanwhile, that was the vice president trying to assuage donors. They're not assuaged. This is Trump sits on top the shrinking GOP field. Number one. This is going to be a very difficult task for the Israeli Defense Forces. The defense that Hamas will put up in that very dense urban terrain, unlike anything that we've seen in recent years, is going to require some very fierce fighting. And it's happening already. Two miles in, after four weeks at war, Israel on the ground in Gaza blasting Hamas while trying to save hostages and avoid civilians. As ignorant and anti-Israel pro-Hamas rallies rage in major cities, all around the U.S., especially here in New York. Senator James Langford of Oklahoma, Homeland Security, Intelligence, Finance Committees, takes up a lot of his time. But, Senator, i got to ask you, are you as stunned and outraged by what you're seeing from Tulane to Columbia to Harvard to Yale to Cornell to the Brooklyn Bridge yesterday and to Fordham today? I am disappointed, outraged, frustrated, and in some ways not shocked at the same time. Uh, the liberal base in some of these universities have focused for so long about how how to hate Israel and uh, and to focus on anti-American folk, uh, priorities uh, that the professors are literally raising up students uh, to say the whole world's upside down, and the students are buying into it, apparently. Well, they are at a huge rate. Uh, first off— when it comes to what's happening domestically, you're also concerned about the border. You see there were 126 uh, people came across the border on the FBI watch list. We get no answers when we ask the Homeland Security Secretary where those 126 are and why this is happening. And you're worried about the Iranians coming over now. 
I am, actually. We've had more than 300 Iranians come across and more than 70,000 individuals that are called special interest aliens uh, in the last two years. These are folks that are from uh, Iran, Iraq, from Syria, from Yemen, uh, from terrorist areas that have come across our border that the administration has said they're not on our terror watch list, so we're just going to release them into the country. I have to remind everybody the terror watch list are the terrorists that we know of. Yeah. It's not a full, complete list of all billions of people on the planet uh, and what their activities are. It's only those that we know of. But literally, we have individuals that are on the terror watch list that they're detained, but the people they're traveling with of the same nationality that were also running across the border, those individuals have been released into the country. So as I like to say on this, I don't know how often terrorists travel with Sunday school teachers, but apparently they think if one person's a terrorist and the rest of the person in the group they must be just fine and they're released. It's uh, it's insane. And it, it's something that the administration thinks they're addressing when they put together that hundred billion dollar funding request. And they say 14 billion, uh, 14 million for the border. What's your reaction to that? Yeah, that $14 billion for the border is actually to facilitate more people crossing the border, not to deter anyone. There, there's just a huge difference. When the Biden administration talks about doing more work on the border, they mean they want to expedite people faster across the border and be, quote-unquote, nicer to people. They have billions of dollars funding towards what they call safe migration offices in Central America so they can help people as they're moving through Central America towards the United States to be safer in the process. We're focused on deterrence to say we want legal immigration. We want people to come from all over the world to apply to be here, but we want them to do it the legal way, not the illegal way. And the Biden administration is solely focused on how they can facilitate faster, smoother, illegal immigration. So what I could tell is they're trying to ignore it. Uh, They just try to ignore the border. The vice president was asked to go down there. She doesn't go down there. You asked to take over. She doesn't take over. Mayorka sits there and just stiff arms everybody. And then the border continues to break, and they just hope it goes away. But do you think they could pay a political price? I know that would get their attention, but put politics, or the, when they didn't have to get routed in the midterms, they got the wrong message from that. Yeah, they, they should pay a political price on this, to say the least on it. And we'll see if they will, just from the American people, as they're choosing what are the key issues. Obviously, Bidenomics has been a disaster. There's so many different aspects to be able to look at under this administration that they've taken things the wrong way with before in policy or domestic. But this issue about security is really a big issue to every single American. That's why you've got the governor of New York and the mayor of New York City stepping up and saying, hey, this is a problem. This is a big issue. Uh, you've got areas that are, quote, unquote, blue states that are being overrun by folks that they're finally waking up and determining, you know, we've got all these folks that are homeless. We've got crime. We've got all this disconnection. We've got problems in our schools. Uh, All these things are all connected to one thing, Biden's open border policy. So that's significant. But I would tell you, Brian, that the ticking time bomb in this is the number of people that have come across from all these different areas as special interest aliens. If there is a terrorist attack in the United States, God forbid, but there is one of those individuals that crossed our border illegally, this administration will continue to be able to pay a price for it and should because they have ignored the warning and have failed to learn the first principle of 9-11, and that is the 9-11 terrorists were all illegally present in the United States. That's the first lesson that we should have learned. Absolutely, and they were able to function and uh, under the radar until they struck. 
So the vice president was being interviewed by 60 Minutes in their latest effort to rehab her image. It's impossible. She's talentless, uh, and I don't think she studies. Here's an example of her laying down the law. Cut one. What's the message to Iran? Don't. As President Biden said, just don't. Exactly. One word. Pretty straightforward. Right. It's one word, and they do. They have attacked us 20 times. We have answered once. We hit a weapons depot. They now think this word don't is something to run on. What does Senator Lankford think of that? Yeah, don't vote for Biden is a pretty good uh, <laughs> thing for them to be able to run on. Just just don't, just don't. Uh, th- they're focused on uh, we're going to try to push back on Iran and their focus of uh, that we're going to try to keep this issue with Iran separate from what's happening in Israel. No one's buying. Uh, as you mentioned, Iran and Iranian proxies have attacked American forces 20 times in the last two weeks. Uh, that is not a coincidence. Uh, that is specifically connected to what's happening in Israel right now. They've launched uh, precision-guided missiles from Yemen towards Israel right over our forces as well that we were able to shoot down. Uh, But just because we're able to shoot these things down uh, doesn't mean we're not being attacked. That means we're defending ourselves well on it. But we shouldn't have a tepid response back to Iran. If Iran attacks American forces, they need to have a strong Mm -hmm clear response from the United States so they don't continue to ratchet up. What Biden seems to be doing right now, Brian, is he seems to say, just don't kill an American. You can attack us as many times as you want, but if you kill one of us, that's a problem. We've had all kinds of Americans that have been injured already in these attacks, but their focus is if you kill an American, then we're going to have a stronger response. We should not wait till that moment when they're literally shooting at us we should be able to respond. A police officer doesn't say, okay, we're not going to fire back at the criminal until they kill another police officer. You can keep shooting at us all you want. That's not how it's supposed to work. But this Biden's tepid Mm -hmm. response to this is going to lead to the death of Americans. Senator Langford, I think about, because we've been to Oklahoma so often, we're lucky enough to be carried in Oklahoma City and Tulsa, very military oriented. You have a lot of veterans, a lot of people serving. And don't don't they... Uh, don't we owe it to them to allow them to defend themselves, not just block rockets, but knock out the people that are sending them over? That is absolutely 100% correct. If, if if someone is being shot at, they have the ability to be able to respond back to them in defense and to be able to say, stop, I'm going to do what it takes to be able to keep you from actually shooting rockets at me. But right now, those folks that are on our military bases in the Middle East, they're literally sitting there as a in many ways, a target. Uh, and this administration's not being cleared to not just say don't. Uh, this administration is trying to try to deter them by using soft words uh, rather than actually using force and action. And now, none of the folks that I know in the military want to be able to have a war with Iran, right. and certainly Iran should not want to have a war with us. That's not what I'm promoting. But we are more likely to go into a war with Iran if we're weak in our response to Iran. And and everybody knows that, seemingly except the president and Jake Sullivan. Here is what Jared Kushner doesn't do much these days, but he did so much work on the Abraham Accords, just spoke in Saudi Arabia over the weekend. Uh, and this is what he said the difference is between the world he left and the world we're in. Cut eight. 
I see every day, you know, people, uh, even people who are not in favor of Trump are realizing that under President Trump, uh, we had a peaceful world. Uh, people said when he got into power, he would create World War III. Well, uh, there were no new wars. Uh, he was making peace deals. The Middle East, which was one of the thorniest issues uh, for American diplomats and politicians and military for two decades, became a very peaceful place with a lot of momentum. And uh, in just a couple short years, uh, you've seen what happened when there's passive leadership and, and weak leadership uh, from America. America and the world. And, you know, we have uh, two massive wars that have the chance to metastasize further. There's nothing he said that's challengeable or debatable. Yep, not, yep nothing that he said is debatable. Uh, again, it's the two different perspectives here. It's whether you lead by strength in an area that requires strength or whether you try to function like Columbia University and Harvard and say, we're just going to be peaceful to everyone and we're just going to be sweet to everyone and it's all going to work out okay. That's not how the real world works. And in the real world, you've got to have strength on it to be able to have that kind of deterrence. None of us want a war, but you've got to have strength to be able to prevent that. And, Senator, what about this package that now that you have a speaker, uh, that they're going to look to divide it up and break it up into Ukraine aid, border aid, and Israel aid? You guys in the Senate are bundling it up. You're in the minority, just barely, but in the minority. Where do you stand on this? Yeah, well, we don't know what the Senate response is going to be. There hasn't been one. I know President Biden is wanting to be able to bundle it all up. Uh, the Senate response has not been determined on that. We do need to be able to make sure that we are standing strong in different areas of the world, but that we're also focused on the border. Uh, the big issue on the border that's sitting out there is that we've been pretty clear on. We're very concerned about other people's borders, but we're more concerned about our own border mm -hmm. and the national security risk on that. And so we want to make sure that we're the United States of America. We're standing strong. We're not abandoning allies worldwide, but we're also paying attention to our own national security at the same time. Far be it from us to be able to say we're going to be passionate about everywhere else in the world right. except at home. How do you plan on getting something out of Mayorkas that will move this story forward or get your message across? I know you speak to him tomorrow. I do. I, he'll be in front of me in a committee hearing tomorrow dealing with national security risks. And obviously, top of that list is going to be the border. I'm going to talk to him specifically about why do we have uh, 8 million people that have illegally crossed our border in the last three years, the highest number ever. What are the key aspects that would actually turn this around? Asylum, parole reform, and how they actually handle that. Something called withholding that very few people are talking about, but it's a huge issue for how this administration is actually waving people in. And so I'm going to zero in on those key things and to say, this is what I believe needs to be done. Tell me yes or no on this. And he'll have no other option but to be able to say, yes, these things need to be done. I'm not trying to put him in a box. I'm trying to get him to say out loud what everyone in the world knows that needs to be done, that we've got to be able to deal with the policy areas there. You can't mm -hmm. just throw money at the border and to think somehow that gets better. you got to actually change the policy at the border to get better. I hear you. Senator James Langford, Oklahoma. Thank you, James. You bet. Thank you. All right. one 408 7669 Calls next. And then at the bottom of the hour, we open up uh, Hunter Talk uh, with Jonathan Turley. And also the president, former president, uh, had a gag order reinstituted on him as it relates to Jack Smith's case. I actually think it'll help the president in the long run. What do you think? Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Here at first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. 
out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. We were talking to some Democratic donors, and they have told us that should something befall President Biden and he is not able to run, that there would be a free-for-all for who would run as president. You are in the spot that that would be unnatural for you to step up, but we're hearing from donors that they would not naturally fall into line. Why is that? Well, first of all, I'm not going to engage in that hypothetical because Joe Biden is very much alive and running for re-election. Right. Very much alive and running for re-election. Very similar. His poll numbers are terrible. Immigration is awful. The Bidenomics he ran on all summer, they're only 32% of the country, think he's doing a good job. Even though the numbers say GDP growth is good and unemployment is down, no one's feeling it because of inflation, because of the crappy spending, and before the because of the gas prices. If you're listening to me right now on the West Coast or on California, you're paying about $6 plus a gallon of gas. And you just compare it to what it was earlier. The vice president looked even shaky with the easiest interview any human being could have yesterday. Walking around, are you with, Are you in the, the last person the president sees? How many times do you talk to the president? Do you meet him in two or three? I'm in his office all the time. What do you discuss? How have you gotten things done? What do you say when he says, I thought I asked you to take care of the border. It's never been worse. So, you know, they, they have problems with, uh, they called Jim Crow 2.0, the new Georgia laws. They dispatched Kamala Harris to bring back election integrity. Where's that spotlight? I mean, I would love a, a crackdown for both sides on every single state to make sure we end up this end up with the, the count as the right count, make everyone feel better about it. She did nothing on that. And she's never around, always out on the West Coast. I don't know what she does. So she's out there talking where we're going to be tough with Israel, we're going to stay with Israel. Okay, fine. Well, if you just, if Mr. Whitaker, if you just ask any, how about this? U.S. forces have been attacked 22 times. Almost over a hundred since you took office. There have been six reprisals. When you say don't to Iran, why do you think that they would listen to you? There's no reason for them to listen to you because they're not afraid of you. Because you basically said in a first meeting in Oman and then afterwards, I'll do anything to get back into that terrible nuclear program. And now there's no sentiment to get back into it. You didn't condemn all their uh, civil unrest. The problem with the entire region is Iran. And the reason why everyone was signing deals with Israel is because no one likes Iran. And they knew Israel was not a threat. All the propaganda was propaganda. They moved past it. I think Saudi Arabia has not closed the door on doing a deal with, with us and with Iran. Some type of defense plan. And in turn, when it comes to Iran, uh, understand that they are the enemy. 
Uh, the enemy of all civilization, not just in the region. Brian Kilmeade Show. Jonathan Turley next. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The most damning evidence is now we're starting to see the transactions that went to Joe Biden, money actually going into his hands. One of the things that I believe we're going to uncover is that there were payments made on behalf of Joe Biden where they they didn't give the money to him, but the money was spent on his behalf. That stuff is damning in and of itself. And I think there's also another piece to this, Maria. You have the cover-up that is going on in the FBI and at the Department of Justice. And that's Pittsburgh uh, District Attorney was tasked by Bill Barr, according to Miranda Devine today, uh, to go find out about what about these links to Joe and these accounts. And there were 40 investigations, and he was stopped along the way almost every single time they were inquiring about Joe Biden and his family and, and a lot of these unsavory, I believe, business transactions. And the FBI, even though it was Donald Trump in power, not Joe Biden, was blocking for the Biden family. That's according to Scott Brady. And Bill Barr, Jonathan, and they said, let's just leave it at this because it's an election year. Jonathan Turley, constitutional law professor, GW, uh, and Fox News contributor. Jonathan, welcome back. What's your take on this, on the fact that they're getting now to checks of $200,000 made out to Joe? Well, we're beginning to see the the sort of pipe end of this process come into view. You know, the... Committees have have not previously subpoenaed the uh, records of the Bidens uh, um, themselves. They're doing that now. What they were focused on was subpoenaing the banks themse- uh, in, in terms of pu- putting together these transfers. We know millions of dollars were sent through a, a labyrinth of shell companies and accounts. We're now beginning to see the the pipe end of that come into into view. Uh, we're seeing a number of things, including the use of things denoted as loans. You know, we have various loans going to Hunter Biden that may not have been repaid, or they were taken over by political donors. We have no interest loans coming from the Chinese. Uh, to the family, we also have because of this labyrinth of of accounts, the money tended to float uh, between Biden family members, and it does appear that some of that may have been used to pay off house repairs, yeah. tax issues, credit card bills uh, for the president. So, if one brother in life. One brother can lend another brother money, but you have to somehow account for it. Somehow, where'd you get the 200000 And then what do they do with the 200000 You can't just just give money away. That, not in our society. We, there are things that got to pay, like taxes. And with the suspicious, uh, with, with already the, the suspicious account, uh, red flags that are brought up, people are wondering about this family to begin with. So, Jonathan, when you hear about Scott Brady and looking into this in 40 separate investigations into the Bidens on things like we just mentioned and being stopped along the way, does it stun you considering technically the Bidens weren't even in power when this was being blocked? Unfortunately, it no longer surprises many of us. Uh, it's very easy uh, in a government this size to effectively kill investigations. They, you don't have to leave fingerprints. Uh, and 
we've seen this over and over again, that allegations against the Bidens just seem to wither and die. Uh, and I, the, the inverse is true with regard to Trump. You know, when, when the allegations were made against Trump, even when intelligence officials said, look, we don't see Russian uh, uh, collusion here I, or debunking the Steele dossier, they still went, you know, full tilt into the investigation. And so there, I think reasonable people can see a bias there. Uh, what's really astonishing is not just the Democrats posing any investigation into these uh, money transfers, uh, but the media's just incredible lack of curiosity. You know, all the media has been saying is, you know, we want a smoking gun. And that seems to mean you either need a confession from Joe Biden or a, an envelope full of money to get the media to acknowledge that they have a serious corruption scandal going on. Right. Uh, and this is Byron Donald saying about the FBI, about Scott Brady, Cut 39. We are now getting information that federal prosecutors were being stonewalled by the FBI, something that, according to Scott Brady, quote unquote, never happened at any other point in his career. But because of this investigation, he had to get clearances to continue the investigative process. Uh, that's insane to me because it means that you have elements of our Department of Justice and our FBI that were covering up for the president of the United States. Uh, so that those are the two damning pieces that we have at this point. We're going to continue to follow the evidence to see where it takes us. So that's Pretty interesting. Uh, then it goes, they are thinking about, according to the new Speaker of the House, subpoenaing Hunter now. Is this the right time to subpoena Hunter? Well, they're going to have to eventually require Hunter to come in. And that's going to create a serious threat for Hunter uh, because he could find himself charged with lying to Congress if he's less than forthcoming. Uh, he could come in and just plead the fifth and say that I'm still subject to criminal prosecution, so I'm not going to speak to Congress. One of the you know, weird things about all of this is that the Biden administration is still slow walking the prosecutions. We have not heard of, of the tax charges that were expected after the plea fell apart. We have not heard of any FARA charges. It's the same pattern. You know, they're approaching statute of limitations on some of those issues. And it, it, at some point, the public is going to lose patience and say, stop playing us for chumps. I mean, the, it, it's just astonishing that every time there's a Biden involved, the criminal justice system slows to a standstill. And you have got the entire government that seems to collectively be staring at its navel. But, you know, there are some people that believe that the, you look at the polls, people are, st are no longer think it's folly. They think the Bidens were up to no good when it comes to international business dealings. So that is probably doing some damage along with his uh, performance. Lastly, on the gag order that's back in Georgia, a lot of his campaign aides evidently are not unhappy that he won't be able to talk about the case. But what is going on? One minute it's on, next minute it's not. Now they're asking for it to go on again. Yeah, you know, it's, it, I have serious problems with these gag orders. I, I think that, quite frankly, a lot of Republicans would prefer the former president to stop uh, these public comments, I, it, not just simply because it complicates these uh, these cases and actually undermines them with the court, but it's not necessarily helping politically. 
Uh, but there are First Amendment issues here. I mean, the Jack Smith recently uh, went back to court to ask again for the gag order to not only be imposed but expanded. Um, Smith is taking a hatchet, in my view, to First Amendment rights here. And even the ACLU has now entered and said, you know, we don't like Trump. But for God's sake, yeah. these, this effort by Smith would eviscerate free speech. So right now, where's his stand? It's reinstituted for now. Is it, is it open to another challenge? It can be. And I think that particularly the Smith issue uh, in federal court out of D.C. Uh, could move quickly uh, if, if Judge Chutkin actually approved it. I doubt she's going to give him everything that he wants. Judge Chutkin's in a weird position because she failed to show any more circumspection uh, as a judge because she was asked to remove herself from the case because in an earlier trial, she just spontaneously said essentially that Trump should be the one in jail. Well, that was before Trump was ever indicted, and the Trump people said, you know, it's sort of unfair for you to to be the judge in a trial when you just spontaneously said that the defendant should have been in jail when no one had actually charged him. It's crazy. Uh, and the judge decides if the judge is biased or not. There's no outside source. That's the system you guys uh, signed off on, meaning the legal uh, geniuses like yourself. Um, <laughs> But I'm looking at these cases, and here's the one case people ask me all the time. If, you know, the Washington case is the most troublesome for Trump because of the, the, the way the jury, the makeup of the jury likely will be, the documents case they say looks like it's going to be, it could go past the election. But this case, if he is convicted on any of these and then he's going to appeal it, can you run for president if you're convicted of a felony? Yes. He can run for president even if you're in jail. Uh, and for the federal uh, trials, uh, he can pardon himself. Even He can do so even before a trial occurs. He can do it preemptively. He cannot do that with regard to the state charges. Of these cases, I still consider Mar-a-Lago to be the worst one in terms of the law and facts. Uh, there's not a lot of room for a defense there. Um, they've really loaded up uh, that case, but it'll come after the election. Uh, with regard to Georgia, they still have to establish that Trump uh, believed that these claims were completely invalid and that a court would not uh, view them as, as having merit. Uh, he had lawyers telling him something to the contrary. Uh, that's still a very significant barrier. Even if they secure a conviction, right. uh, there's a real question there. So the other thing is, and again, this is not a legal argument. I'm just doing a logical argument. So Sidney Powell is, get, cuts a deal. Uh, Cheeseboro cuts a deal. You have um, his other attorney, Jenna Ellis, cutting a deal. All right. And they say, well, you took the people that you think were culpable with multiple felonies, knocked it down to a misdemeanor, and you, to all to obviously get Trump and Giuliani or just Trump. But if their defense is, what could their, how could they turn on their client? For example, they're going to say, I told him not to do this, and he did this anyway. We watched Sidney Powell and Jenna Ellis and Cheeseboro say what they said. Are they going to say the president made me do it? Do you think the president yeah. comes up with an elaborate scheme to go grab voting machines and bring them back and dispatch the military like Sidney Powell has been said that— uh, multiple witnesses said that she said behind closed doors. 
I don't understand how Trump is more vulnerable today. What am I missing? No, I don't think you are missing anything. I, I said the same thing when these pleas came down and everyone said, oh, this is the end of Trump. And I said, you know, I, I wouldn't say that. I mean, first of all, these pleas were to very specific crimes with regard to uh, a couple of these attorneys in terms of getting unauthorized access to election areas. Those are easy to prove. They're misdemeanors. Uh, they got a deal where they could walk without jail time. Uh, it does not necessarily mean that they're going to establish a racketeering claim. They didn't plead guilty to racketeering. They didn't plead guilty to conspiracy. Now, Alice may be a problem because she has become fairly um, uh, opposed or hostile to Trump. I mean, she's made some, some public comments about Trump. And, you know, there may be animus there. But once again, your point's a good one. You know, you can't have a – putting aside the fact you're using attorneys against a client, these attorneys are essentially saying, how dare you believe what I told you? <laughs> right. So, you know, where does he come up with a legal scheme? You, you know, I, I'm not calling the plays. I hired lawyers to call the plays. I went. If Trump's guilty, it's of picking the wrong lawyers because he didn't like what his good lawyers – I think there were good lawyers – at the White House told him to do. So he went and found other lawyers, and now those lawyers are going to turn on him. I, I'm, I'm having trouble seeing where Trump's in trouble there, except for fundamentally they all did the same thing at, for the same reason, and you would think sincerely, but who knows if it was sincere or not. They had a strategy. They thought the election was stolen, so he went with another group of lawyers. Now those lawyers want to turn on him and say he made me do it. Why? Because he paid so much? I mean, I don't think he, they did it for the money. I don't think they ever get paid. That's one thing about Trump attorneys. They don't get paid that much. Yeah. Uh, and uh, at the end of the day, we're going to have to grapple with uh, this question of what is enough uh, to make an election claim. You know, the Democratic members who have denounced all of this, many of them supported the challenge of certification of Donald Trump. They did so with zero factual or legal basis. Uh, they didn't even really work that hard to come up with a reason. They just simply opposed the certification. Uh, does that mean that they're, you know, that was an insurrection or that they were acting in any type of criminal manner? Now, plenty of mm -hmm. Democrats have challenged elections uh, that was found to be invalid. You know, right. you have Mark Elias, uh, who challenged uh, elections in New York based on voting machines and claiming that they had flipped the votes. Nobody alleged that he should be charged with a crime. Lastly, real quick, I should have got to this earlier about Colorado. They're trying to say since Donald Trump caused an insurrection uh, that he should not be eligible to be president or be on the ballot. Yeah, I think that's hands down the most dangerous theory I've seen arise in my lifetime. I mean, these people are throwing matches at a tinderbox uh, that we have in this country. I think that it is wrong uh, to the ground. I mean, I think that the the words are insurrection and rebellion. This was a protest that became a riot. It was many things, none of which was, was good, but it was not a rebellion in my view. But more importantly, uh, when you look at that language, they were doing that after the Civil War, or actual rebellion where hundreds of thousands of people died. Can you imagine our future as a democracy if a court says that you can classify things as rebellions or insurrections on these facts, they're suggesting that any effort to interrupt or delay uh, an official proceeding uh, could qualify. 
Well, you're going to have tit-for-tat measures in red and blue states. People are just going to be dropped off ballot. That's the future unless the courts say no. Thank you uh, for spelling it out for us so easily, Jonathan. So I do not have to go to law school. If you talked over my head, I would have felt compelled to register in law school. But you make it seem so simple. So therefore, I can stay out of law school. Thank you. Jonathan, I owe you a favor. Okay. All right. Back in a moment. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. This is going to be a very difficult task for the Israeli Defense Forces. The the defense that Hamas will put up in that very, very dense urban terrain, unlike anything that we've seen uh, in recent years, is going to require some very fierce fighting. And simultaneously trying to ensure that the Israelis do not target unwittingly the locations of the hostages, this is going to prove to be a very difficult task. And we'll just have to see how their plan plays out here over the coming days. General Robert Abrams, and they're talking about instead of being a massive D-Day-like invasion, we're looking at a slow, deliberate, careful push, not with 100,000 troops. They got 600,000, not with uh, 200,000, not right now. They say they're moving more 100 yards than mile by mile. So far, they've gotten two miles in. They've blown up a lot of tunnels. They have taken some casualties. But I'm watching Trey Yinks this morning, our great reporter, and behind him is literally a war playing out. We're watching these rockets back and forth. It's as if it's a green screen and not real. But that's how close he is to the border, which is a tribute to him. But that's the Israelis have made him feel pretty good about they're moving forward and you're protected back here. Although Hamas has not stopped with their rockets. Iron Dome has been working overtime. Hezbollah, I think, 16 rockets yesterday. So this could expand. I think there's major risk to Hezbollah. If you're that brutal terrorist organization, you think you were beat up in 2006 and you were, you'll be destroyed. Because Israel right now is showing they're, they're going to finish you. They're going to finish Hamas and they'll come for you. And I think they Iran could lose all their proxies at once. <laughs> From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Hope you had a fantastic weekend. I know it's tough with all that's going on in the world, wherever you go, whether it's the protest, the war, uh, politics. Uh, there's a lot of conflict in this world. We're trying to make sense of it, and we will. With us uh, to help us out, he's an attorney. He served in the military, also a former ranking member on Judiciary of or Georgia, a very, very coveted state for anybody who wants to win the presidency. Doug Collins will be with us. Michael Goodwin, outstanding New York Post columnist, will be with us, too, in a matter of moments. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. What we know is that James Biden received about $600,000 from a foreign health care company. Joe Biden gets a check of about $200,000 during the same time period that James Biden is being paid. Those are the facts. 
Yeah, nothing to see here, but it's back. The investigations of the Biden family back on track now that they have a speaker. By the way, Joe suppressed 40 FBI investigations. Even when he wasn't in the presidency, what the House has in store for the president and all his dicey cohorts. Number two. Should something befall President Biden and he is not able to run, you are in the spot that that would be unnatural for you to step up. But we're hearing from donors that they would not naturally fall into line. Well, first of all, I'm not going to engage in that hypothetical because Joe Biden is very much alive. Right. uh, Very much alive. But he could step aside, want to spend time with his family. 2024, 53 weeks away, and the White House is beginning to panic about the prospects of them getting four more years after their horrible foreign policy. Bidenomics is not resonating after a summer of spending and appearances. This is Trump sits atop a shrinking GOP field. We'll discuss it. Number one. This is going to be a very difficult task for the Israeli defense forces. The defense that Hamas will put up in that very dense urban terrain, unlike anything that we've seen in recent years is going to require some very fierce fighting. Uh, That is true, General Abrams. Two miles in, after four weeks of war, Israel on the ground in Gaza, blasting Hamas while trying to save hostages and avoid civilians. As ignorant anti-Israel, pro-Hamas rallies rage in major cities and major colleges in the U.S. and around the world. We look at the states, stakes for Israel and America and our troops. Michael Goodwin joins us now with the New York Post. Michael, uh, thanks for joining us. You you were focusing this week on the U.N., the ridiculous statement from the general secretary and the votes that they have now, I think, conducting today to call for a ceasefire. Well, Brian, they passed a resolution uh, last late last week for, for a ceasefire. And what I try to do in the column is take apart what really could happen if the U.N. and the Arab nations near near Gaza were to work to really help the civilians. And the crux of it is that Egypt and Jordan have said, we will not take any Palestinians, no more Palestinians, no refugees. That's extraordinary when you think of their criticism of Israel. Um, and the same with Saudi Arabia. They're, they're criticizing Israel over, and they want a ceasefire. But what's to happen to all of the people in Gaza who are being used as human shields by uh, Hamas? These countries could help get the civilians out. Instead, they demand that Israel cease fire and therefore effectively let Hamas go unpunished. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a crazy idea, and it really goes back to the fact that, to put it bluntly, nobody wants the Palestinians in their country. They are all afraid of a Hamas springing up, of another ISIS. Uh, the, the Muslim Brotherhood uh, ran Egypt, took it over. Uh, Hamas is an offsh- offshoot of the Muslim Brotherhood, and Egypt doesn't want anything to do with that again. I mean, they they used the coup to overthrow it. Uh, El-Sisi, the, the president, was elected later, but they are adamant there will be no more 
uh, uprising of the Muslim Brotherhood or Hamas on Egyptian territory. Jordan, of course, had the same thing. It expelled uh, Yasser Arafat in a bloody uh, uh, battle called Black Sunday in 1970, kicked the entire Palestine Liberation Organization, the terror organization, out of Jordan, uh, sent it packing. They don't want any Palestinians coming back in, although much of their population is Palestinian, they don't want these these uh, radical Islamist groups coming in. And so it, the burden falls to Israel to protect these Arab Palestinians that nobody else wants. And that's why I think, as I say in the column, it's not going to happen. It well, could happen right. if, if they, somehow they would, the Arab countries would f- work to free the hostages and work to have Hamas disarm and surrender. Uh, and then you wouldn't need to do this total bombardment. But, but the problem Israel is, but you know, you know this. But you know, survive. but you know, Iran is plugged in to Hamas and Hezbollah. They exist because of Iran, and they would never rally to disarm something. They, they, they should just confront the big problem. It is Iran financing the terror groups instead of nations to make Israel's life miserable, force them to the sea. What I think is a joke that shows people just don't get it is this so-called call for uh, a Palestinian state or a two-state solution. How? With who? Name, name one person that they could deal with that looks up and says, yeah, we got a problem with Hamas. They don't represent us. No, they represent you. There was an election, and ever since then, they only gained popularity. Well, and if you if you look at it sort of strictly speaking, Brian, um, there is a, a two-state uh, arrangement. Gaza was self-governed by Palestinians, and look at it. It became a, a terrorist state. It became an autocracy where, the, you know, most of the civilians suffer in silence because they'll be killed if they criticize Hamas. Uh, so th- 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 how is Israel ever supposed to say, oh, sure, we'll be happy to have uh, a neighborhood uh, filled with Hamas and filled with uh, the Muslim Brotherhood types and Hezbollah? I mean, these are living examples of what Israel is putting up with and has put up with. And if anything, Israel has been too lenient toward Gaza over the last decade or so, because look how it was repaid for its light touch. It, it allowed Gazans, for example, as many as 18,000 a day to come into Israel and work. Well, it turns out that many of those workers supplied information to Hamas about Israeli uh, encamp- uh, military installations, police, etc. Uh, so what is Israel to do here? How is it supposed to defend itself. And that's where I think, Brian, you get into the nub of the matter, which is those criticizing Israel uh, for its attacks in Gaza. Most of them, not all of them, but most of them simply don't want Israel to exist. That is the reality of much of the criticism in in countries, in colleges, and certainly throughout the Mideast. This is an anti-Israel movement, an attempt to wipe Israel off the map once and for all. That's what Hamas is, that's its charter. That's what Hezbollah is aiming to do. That's what Iran is funding those uh, proxies to do. So we shouldn't kid ourselves that this is just a dispute over a ceasefire. This goes to the root of all evil in the Mideast. Uh, listen, I hear you, and I just can't believe how few agree with us. 
how few agree with a lot of the governments. You have the U.K. riots, 100,000, 1,000 at Grand Central Station, thousands blocking Brooklyn Bridge. You have uh, thousands who showed up to harass a flight coming in from Tel Aviv in a Moscow, in a Russian province. I, I, I just, I am, I have never been so caught by surprise. I Look, I agree with you. The one distinction I would draw, though, Brian, is I think some of the demonstrators uh, in America particularly, but maybe other places as well, not in the Mideast, but in America, they, they want to cease fire out of a humanitarian heart heartache. Um, however, uh, another bunch of the same ones say, you know, chant from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. The, they believe in genocide. The former groups, I think, are just torn. They they want Israel to survive. Many of them are young Jewish people who feel terrible about what's being done. But they are, I believe, just ignorant about the reality of life. Many of them have not even been to Israel. It's surprising how few Jewish Americans have actually been to Israel. Uh, A few years ago when I was there, a a professor said no more than one out of uh, three American Jews have ever been to Israel, and that was a few years ago. But basically, I think a lot of these young people, while they may be well-meaning, they are ignorant uh, of what the reality is in Israel. Once you go there, and you see how close everything is, how, you know, Israeli uh, fighter jets, for example, uh, when they take off, within a matter of minutes, they're out of Israeli territory. They have to turn around to stay within the Israeli airspace. I mean, it's such a tight neighborhood that you cannot have a terrorist next door. It just won't work. And that's where I think a lot of uh, the American uh, young people are ignorant, but I think a a lot of the others including many in America, are actually promoting a form of genocide. This is just one month after the worst uh, carnage that we've seen in our lifetime. Uh, most people weren't around in World War II. So the worst I've ever seen. And then it turns out people are protesting for the people that perpetrated it. Yeah. Lastly, just about 2024, Donald Trump over the weekend cut 26. And yet Joe Biden's feeble first act, one of the worst messages I've ever seen sent out to bad people after more than 1,400 innocents, including over 40 Americans, were murdered or kidnapped. And uh, think of this. We immediately announced that we're giving Hamas $100 million. We're going to give it to them into Gaza, but they take it 100 percent of it. They don't take 90 percent. They take 100 percent. Mark knows that better than anybody. They take 100 percent, and we give them Money hand over fist, and we've been doing that for many years. Trump, as foreign policy and his stance on Iran, looks better every day. His stance on the Middle East, his stance on uh, what the far, what was going on in Eastern Europe. I mean, things were. Think people look around, and they're saying, you know, think, "How did things get so bad so quick?" When we supposedly had the adults back in office, do you think all this will help him get back the White House, or do you? Do you believe that it's already baked in that Biden's going to win again? Uh, boy, that's the $24 question, Brian. Uh, $64. Uh, we should use the inflated number. Uh, look, uh, I think Joe Biden is not going to be the nominee, and I don't believe he's going to be elected. And if it's Biden versus Trump, uh, I would. I think Trump's odds are improving uh, despite— Every day. What, 
Yeah, yeah despite the, the his antics in the court, despite the all of the people testifying against him and who knows how many convictions are coming, I still think that the Democrats, uh, if they want to save the Biden presidency, they've got to find a new candidate because in, in Kamala Harris certainly isn't it. So I, I'm surprised at this stage. I mean, they, they've tried to... Uh, you know, uh, sweet talk the country about Bidenomics. I mean, inflation is such a pernicious penalty on innocent people. I mean, it is amazing how how the cost of living has just soared everywhere in this country for every product. And you look at this new uh, settlement with the United Auto Workers, which Biden was on the picket line for 10 minutes. Uh, that is going to drive up the cost and of they cars, said it. which are not cheap to begin with. And they're so, going to move construction out. They're going to move production out of the country. They said it. We're going to have to yeah. do it. Yeah, and and these mandates that the federal government keeps putting on everything, the lack of drilling and the price of oil. I mean, he has, and of course the border. I mean, he has ruined the country fundamentally in key ways: the economy, security, etc., a cost of living. And I, I look, this you know, if Trump were a normal good candidate, if he didn't have all this messy stuff about his life in the past, um, he would soar. It wouldn't even be a contest. But even now, I do have to say that I believe his chances are improving because of Biden's performance. And Uh, you're right. He's right, too, about Iran. I mean, Iran did not do this sort of stuff when he was president, because he made it clear by droning Soleimani that that game is over. And it's only because of Biden and only because of his weakness that you see what's happening in Ukraine, that you see what's happening in the Mideast. And God forbid that that China should move on Taiwan in this atmosphere, because I don't know that we could even resist. I don't know that we have the, the capacity militarily to help Taiwan. I mean, production, we gave our last two Iron Dome installations to Israel last week. I mean, we are running they were short supposed to go to Ukraine. the sort of thing yeah. that, would, that makes us a superpower. But the thing is, we can make it and make money by doing it. Everybody wants it. So this is an opportunity for a free market economy to respond. We were making respirators where we used to make automobiles two years ago during the pandemic. We can do it. Uh, Let's go do it. Write the contracts. Get it done. Can someone lead? I think that Trump, Haley and DeSantis all beat Biden. Uh, And and I'm very curious to see how this whole thing plays out. Uh, I do think everything he touches has been ruined. Uh, And that's exactly what his career has promised. And it's playing out. Uh, Michael Goodwin, thanks so much. My pleasure. Thank you, Brian. Crazy time in the world. one 408 I'll get to your calls in a moment. Uh, Doug Collins right after that. And then we're still following that the foreign, the defense secretary, defense minister of Saudi Arabia meeting with our, uh, uh, with our secretary of defense and secretary of state today. And Jake Sullivan, national security advisor. We'll follow that when news should come out. Brian Kilmeade, Joe. Don't move. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. There's no doubt it's going to be messy. Um, One can't help but be reminded of some of the worst fighting uh, in Iraq uh, during uh, our war there in places like Fallujah uh, and Ramadi, house to house. You don't know what you're going to encounter when you kick down a door. 
and go in, uh, in addition to just the tactical threats on the ground. So Mike Algarno, his former Marine, is now serving, and I think he's got a bright future. He doesn't really want to get into leadership or run for the Senate. But he's just talking about on Sunday night with America with Trey Gowdy what they're facing. And, and that's why, you know, you waited six weeks and people, uh, a lot of, six weeks. It's, it's roughly about three weeks longer than everyone thought. October 7th, everyone thought by October 9th, the Israelis are going right into Gaza. But they didn't really know it. They know it's changed. They wanted to forget about it. They've been lulled to think that Hamas was no longer interested in having a substantial attack over Israel. That was all part of the disinformation campaign. They were using hard cell. They were using hardwire phones. They were training elsewhere, meeting in Beirut, not meeting over in Gaza. Regardless, there's going to be a whole investigation on this. But right now, it's the hardest thing to go into those tunnels and also tunnels you can't locate. So what they're doing is they're finding these sponge bombs. Sponge bombs go in and actually will expand once they're in the tunnel and almost seal it off with them in it. How great would that be? Almost like steel. The other thing is doing smoke, what they did in Vietnam. If you put the tunnels, put smoke into one tunnel, see where the smoke comes up. And then you know where it ends. You know how to take it out. But these are these are metal. There's a piano down there. There's a there's a whole lifestyle down there, and they have to find a way to fight it because that's where Hamas is down there. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I came here to say it's become clear to me. This is not my time. So after much prayer and deliberation, I have decided to suspend my campaign for president effective today. Now, I'm leaving this campaign, but let me promise you, I will never leave the fight for conservative values, and I will never stop fighting to elect principled Republican leaders to every office in the land. So I'm at my daughter's college soccer game uh, right before we went. I said, oh, wait a second. Aren't they in Las Vegas, all the presidential candidates? Let me see if they have these speeches. I want to see if Trump was going to actually adhere to these gag orders, what he's going to say. They're all, all the leading candidates are there. And I put on television, and there's Mike Pence. I said, okay. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting there by myself going, wait a second. Did he just did he just leave the presidential race? Wow. I guess he was $600,000 in debt, running for president, not going past single digits in any state. He did very well in the debates, but he's gone. And now there were four. There's only going to be four on the stage right now unless Doug Bergram gets a quick – and actually, Tim Scott is not there yet. Doug Collins is with me now former ranking member of the U.S. House Judiciary Committee, author of The Clock and the Calendar. Uh, and also he is a, an attorney, served in the military, can go at – also you're a, a pastor, right? I was, yeah. A pastor. Still There's nothing still you a, can't still, do. Still an Air Force chaplain, 22 right. years worth. There's a brief lack of focus with your career. I have, my wife has said the same thing. So <laughs> at some point in life, she thought, hope that I'd finally figure out what I wanted to do in right. life. <laughs> it's great to be so multi-talented. I had one speed uh, – so, uh, Doug, great to see you. Your reaction to Mike Pence bowing out. Uh, what does it represent? I think it represents a reality that that Mike had no chance, that the base had left him completely after what happened at the end of the, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent, what happened at the end of the campaign in 2020. Um, he was set up as a, as didn't do what, quote, 
supposed to have been done, and he never had a chance with the base among the Republican Party. Right. Uh, he did the right thing, by the way. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he did what he did. He did what he thought to do. He was right. told what he's told to do, and he did the right thing. He went through it. So. And if he thought, like many people thought, well, there's no way Trump's going to get this nomination. He's got all these court cases. He's got January 6th. Look at the way he ended. Didn't go to the inauguration. But the base just got right back behind him big mm-hmm. time. He's up by 30, although I guess I'm, I'm trying to read the lips of Dana Perino. Was there a new poll that came out? That shows that Haley's closing somewhat in Iowa. But as right now I see her and uh, yeah. DeSantis tied in second. Yeah, you can't. But up by 30. Yeah, you can't cause it. I mean, this has been the funniest thing over the last few weeks is Nikki Haley was at 4% and she get to 6%. And there was headlines on Fox and everybody else. Massive move by Nikki Haley. You went from 4% to 6%. That's not a massive move. Mm-hmm. Okay, when you got Donald Trump at 50, 45, 60%. Um, I think DeSantis is, uh, in my opinion right now, you've got DeSantis, Haley, Christie, a couple of that are simply staying in, betting that something would happen to Donald Trump. And I don't think that I, if you look at their campaigns, there's not a lot of distinguishment. There's not a lot of real new energy in these campaigns. In fact, DeSantis is going continually going, you know, seemingly backwards. Haley has risen in stature because the, the debates have helped her. You know, in all fairness, they've helped her a yeah, lot. She's good. She's good at it. And, and she well, she plans her moments. And I think that's. A debate nowadays is not how much you know, it's are you able to do it at the right moment. And I think that she's been very good at that. Vivek has been a blessing for her. Oh, it's been helpful, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, and if it's interesting, I mean, there's, you know, conversation, he may not go to the next Well, well I talked to him this morning. We had him on the air. I, I, heard, I saw that. So though. you don't follow my career well. Uh, yeah. It really hurt my feelings. Uh, but I did ask him that, and he says, now that the debate stage is smaller, it's better. So I'm going. Yeah, well, it, I think it was one of, well, I was uh, up on Maria's show and looking at, we watch everybody's show. So I saw Vivek, but I was quite, you know, the problem that Vivek has, and it played right into Nikki Haley's strength, it's foreign policy. He has none. Right. He, he jumps, you know. Wings it. Yeah, he wings it. And that's not, that may be good in a, in a tech environment kind of thing, but it's not, you know, when you're innovating, you're doing sales and product. But when it comes down to foreign policy, that was where her, her main strength is. And he played right into it. You know, what's so interesting now is it just shows you every time you try to say to yourself, you can't predict because you don't know what the issues are going to be. In mm-hmm. 2008, who thought we had the Iraqi surge end up being yep. the collapse of the economy. Right. And now who thought we'd be talking about Israel Hamas mm-hmm. and who's better equipped to handle that? And it plays right into President Trump because he doesn't say this is what I would have done like he did in 2016. Right. He goes, this is what I did. did. And here's Jared Kushner in, uh, on Maria's show yesterday. Cut nine. When President Trump came into office, um, Iran was selling about 2.6 million barrels a day of oil. Uh, it was a very intense effort led by President Trump. Uh, his uh, special envoy, Brian Hook, was spent every day trying to take apart the Iranian economy. Uh, by the time President Trump left, Iran was out of foreign currency reserves. Uh, they had massive inflation. They were basically broke, and they were selling about 100,000 barrels a day. Uh, the Biden administration came in, I think, because of probably the environmental policies they put in place. Oil prices started rising, uh, and one of the ways that they tried to uh, uh, either buy stability in the Middle East um, or, or just try to counter the rising prices was they stopped enforcing the sanctions on Iran. Uh, between uh, the start of the administration and now, Iran's taken in almost $100 billion in uh, in oil sales. Tell me that doesn't play into the violence we're seeing now. You better believe it does. I mean, look, Hamas, is, Hamas Hezbollah, and the Iranian uh, armed militia groups, IAMGs, they're all they're all dependent upon Iran for everything. They don't even, they don't even you know, it's the old saying, they don't even go to the bathroom unless they say they can't. So, 
they have been now refunded again. I'm glad to hear Jared coming forward and talking about this because it's been it's been this lost uh, discussion about what happened between the Trump administration and then what happened with the Biden administration, especially on the energy policy side. So Iran was broke. They were desperate. They were doing everything they possibly could to get back into the to the graces of the world because of the sanctions that that Trump had put upon them based on the terrible Iran deal from the first start. So he's exactly right here. And then when you had the and again, let's not forget within. If we if we roll the clock back a month and a half, Saudi Arabia was getting ready with other Arab countries to ha- basically open up full relations with Israel again, and then all of a sudden you have this happen. I don't think there's any real coincidences in the Middle East. You know what's so interesting is Saudi Arabia is looking to grow their economy, but they're not looking to take over other countries. Nope, not at they're all. Just, so with all their faults, and I'm not saying that that's France by any stretch, to come in strategically and say you're a pariah nation – is not understand the Middle East because you have to make a choice, Iran or Saudi Arabia. Yeah. And you, you know when the first time I realized it, you probably knew it earlier, is that when Hillary Clinton had her emails exposed, mm-hmm. it showed the concern Saudi Arabia had with Iran and this nuclear deal. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying to myself, wow, was it that bad? So behind closed doors, they're like, are you crazy? Are you sure you know what you're doing? Benjamin Netanyahu wasn't even subtle. I'm going to come speak to the Congress yep. how bad this is. Now he can't really do that because he sees that we are their main ally. We're resupplying the Iron Dome, and we're doing what we're doing. But seeing this war break out, you understand the history in that region. Mm-hmm. You must be um, astounded, the ignorance of these protesters on the street saying that Israel does not belong where in Jerusalem, yeah. in, that, in that area of the world. Yeah, it, it is amazing. And when you see young protesters here, and you see it all over the rise of the anti-Semitism, the anti- this is just, uh, again— also, though, for those of us who've been paying attention to it for the last few years, and I had, and especially in Congress, we were seeing this on college campuses. Nobody was talking about it. You know, it's like all these other – everybody else's group was protected except the Jewish students and Jewish uh, Jewish people here in the United States. You were getting that in Georgia? Oh, we were getting it all the time. It, go to Emory. I mean, there was a lot of issues around Emory campus. We had a lot of, uh, you know, a large Jewish population. This has been happening for a while. We had a bill that I worked on for three Congresses. With Democrat support about changing the anti-Semitism definition in the, in the Department of Education to match the Department of State one, and we got pushback. And then when the Democrats took control in 2019, the Democrats backed off of it and said they can't do it anymore. So, again, this has been going on a while. So, yes, it's very concerning uh, when you look at this. But then to hear them say, I su- now, here's the interesting, I support the whatever Hamas did by any other means. Jam- Prima Jayapal head of the Progressive Caucus in Congress, came out yesterday and said if the Biden administration doesn't uh, change their ways, that he could lose Michigan in 2024. So let me rephrase that. Let me put. Let me correct how she said that. In 2024, she's saying that the Muslim population in Michigan will not vote for Joe Biden because they're, they are pro-Hamas terrorists. Let's put this the way it Absolutely. is. Absolutely. And so, and that, but that's exactly what you have a member of Congress saying. Here's 10. Cut 10. The existence of Israel is absolutely legitimate, and I think the world has come to see it as legitimate. However, there are racists within the Netanyahu government, and there are racist policies that Israel has been carrying out. I think it is important for us to recognize that we need to be able to criticize the policies of the Israeli government and uh, and not be called anti-Semitic. I, I really Con- believe that conversation is changing in a way that is not helpful. What does that mean? She says, okay, you need the right to exist, but she does not believe you have the right to retaliate. Yeah. Notice what she said in the very same sentence. 
She said that the, the they are racist in the net. And he said, one, Israel should exist. They're racist in Netanyahu's cabinet. Basically, there's racist in Israel. And that then we need to be able to call out. Now, notice again, her transition. But we need to be able to call out policies of the Biden, of the uh, Israeli government without us being called anti-Semitic. OK, you can't. Ha- I mean, come on. Yeah, this is just play on words, and, and it's, it's just sad. And but this is what you, this is the progressive movement in the United States. Who right now everyone and justifiably so is talking about the fracture among Republicans. I get it. Yep. Do not pretend there's not a fracture oh. with Democrats because you watch one. Uh, I forgot his name. One congressman today threatened to punch out Josh Gottheimer yesterday because he called him out for voting, uh, not voting in support of Israel, uh, and then you have the squad. Who know who are calling out President Biden, who's been unfailingly deferential to these lunatics, mm-hmm. and that's what he's gotten. So call them out and just finish <laughs> them off. Don't pretend like the problem is only in the Republican caucus. Oh, final thought? Nowhere. Watch it this week. You want to see his final thoughts? Watch this week on the floor when the when the Republicans bring forward a their own proposal in the House for fourteen B and an Israel aid. They're going to try and pay for it, but they're also cutting it off from the Ukraine aid. So they're going to just do Israel. Watch the Democratic Party. Okay. Doug Collins, thanks so much. Appreciate it. All right. When we come back, uh, Madison Allworth is at the Brooklyn Bridge for a very good reason, trying to unwind the supporting and the money behind this Palestinian Hamas movement. One name, again, George Soros. She'll explain. Don't move. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Yeah, the question is who's organizing these protests with these vile statements Israel bombs, USA pays? How many kids did you kill today, really? Okay, uh, this is coming off an October 7th carnage like we've never before seen. The victims, Israelis, 790 were civilians. Over 200 who had the audacity to go to a concert were just slaughtered in the most horrific way imaginable. Uh, These losers have to have some type of organization behind them. I'm looking at the signs. I'm looking at the T-shirts. I'm looking at the organization, the travel. Uh, I'm sure a lot of them are getting paid. Let's unwind it with Madison Allworth with Fox Business. Madison's over by the Brooklyn Bridge where the where the bridge was actually stopped full of pro-Palestinian Hamas protesters. Madison, a lot of people are saying, who is behind this? What are you finding out? Yeah, Brian, I mean, the, the amount of protests that we've seen since October 7th um, is obviously alarming, and that, that doesn't happen in a vacuum. And so, you know, we started to look into where is this money coming from, and all this— you know, in part was spurred from some New York Post reporting, um, maybe not surprising, finding that George Soros's Open Society Foundation has bankrolled $15 million to groups behind these protests. That's according to the New York Post. And then another thing that they point out is Arabella Advisors. Uh, that's another big left-wing dark money organization um, saying that they, they funneled $10 million to anti-Israeli causes. Now, we've reached out to um, the Open Society Foundation, Arabella, as well as many of the other uh, 
fund like other organizations that are funded by these two. I do want to start first with Arabella because what they've said um, pretty unilaterally is that they any of the funding that they have distributed goes to organizations um, and they were not used for projects and purposes that have anything to do with the Israel-Palestine conflict. Uh, and they talk about how uh, they unequivocally condemn terrorism and violence against civilians, including the terrorist attack by Hamas. What's interesting, Brian, that we've been getting today, because we've been reaching out to all these groups and responses have started to come in, something that we've seen is that any organization that's really gotten back to us say that they condemn Hamas and the actions of Hamas. But some have noted that they are changing their fundraising or their donor habits. Specifically, we're seeing a lot of these organizations pull out grant funding for Alliance for Global Justice. Uh, that's a nonprofit uh, based out of Arizona. And their concern with Alliance for Global Justice is that uh, they've come under congressional scrutiny. Um, they have ties to uh, Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine, which is recognized as a terror group. So as these funding sources are having light shined on them, they're starting to adjust their funding. But as we've seen, that funding you know, can be used to spark things like the protests that we saw have been seeing in New York, have been seeing on college campuses, and have really been seeing across the country. What about tides? Tides also seems to be one that is involved in um, in all of this. And, and I think it's important to note um, when it comes to anti, you know, you can condemn Hamas, but also a lot of these organizations support a, uh, a free Palestine initiative. So they'll come out and say that they do not support Hamas, but they, the money is still going. And yes, Tides is another organization that does have grant funding that goes to many of these um, nonprofits that organize these protests. Yeah, so Tides, they put posted a photo of, on Instagram of bulldozers tearing apart of Israel's border fence and captioned Israel colonizers believe they could definitely trap 2 million people in an open-air prison indefinitely trapped. No cage goes unchallenged. Uh, the beneficiaries include the Adala Pro- Justice Project. They believe yeah. the money, they facilitate a lot. Grand Making Network gave $3.7 million of the money through the Tide Center. They went to the Open Society Foundation and vice versa. So they're feeding this. And that means a lot of the people on the streets are getting paid to do that. Yes, I think such an important point. I know we discussed this on Fox and Friends this morning. So, yeah, I think, I mean, it's hard because we're on radio, but just to paint the picture here. So Tide beneficiaries, so some of the, the people that they've paid include Adala Justice Project. And what you're referring to was an in, in part an Instagram post that they had on October 7th, which we obviously know is the day that Hamas, um, enacted horrific acts of terror against innocent Israelis. And on that day, they posted a photo of the border friends. Um, and I think the most important part there, quote, no cage goes unchallenged. Um, and so I haven't seen anything about Adala Justice Project no longer getting funding. That's not one of the groups that I've seen um, a pivot away from. And yet they have still up on Instagram. If you go on Instagram right now and you look mm-hmm. up Adala Justice Project, their post from October 7th saying no cage goes unchallenged is still up. And, um, yeah, according to the New York Post reporting, Tides does give money to a dollar justice project. And it starts at the top. And we're talking, we're not talking hundreds of dollars, thousands. We're talking millions of dollars that we're potentially seeing going into these, into these groups. Um, 
And and that should be a, a concern when you see everything that's happening in the country. Absolutely. And I know you're going to follow this, Madison. We're just beginning because you do that along with what's happening on TikTok and where they get a lot of Instagram, not Instagram, excuse me, but where they get a lot of their news and you see it manipulated by the Chinese. You got curriculum, you got social media, and you have flat out funding all working against American interests. And that's why we're seeing these horrific demonstrations and around the world. Madison Allworth, thank you. Keep it here. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. I come to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, around the world. Uh, I have Charles Hurd here in studio, Fox News contributor, columnist for the Washington Times. Bob in the hour, Gerard Baker, editor of at large of the Wall Street Journal. Talking about some serious stuff. Also, the, right now, we understand the defense minister of Saudi Arabia is meeting with our defense secretary, as well as national security advisor, as well as secretary of state. I'm not sure if he's going to meet with the president of the United States, who's in constant contact with Benji Netanyahu. And according to the Washington Post, does not want him to have a full-scale invasion, uh, told the prime minister that, and is opening up, uh, is pushing him to open up, uh, pull the electricity back on and bring in some additional humanitarian aid. I would not tell them how to fight. You have to go in there into those tunnels. You want to make sure the electricity shut off. Uh, before we get to Charlie Hurt, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. What we know is that James Biden received about $600,000 from a foreign health care company Joe Biden gets a check of about $200,000 during the same time period that James Biden is being paid. Those are the facts. That is Byron Donalds. It's back. The investigation to the Biden family. We'll discuss it, including 40 FBI investigations that were thwarted. 40. Number two. Should something befall President Biden and he is not able to run, you are in the spot that that would be unnatural for you to step up. But we're hearing from donors that they would not naturally fall into line. Well, first of all, I'm not going to engage in that hypothetical because Joe Biden is very much alive. Okay, you don't want to pretend he's dead. 2024, 53 weeks away and the White House beginning to panic about the prospects of their foreign policy leading them to failure everywhere. And Bidenomics, after a summer selling it, has gone bust. This is Trump sits atop a shrinking GOP field. Number one. This is going to be a very difficult task for the Israeli defense forces. The defense that Hamas will put up in that very dense urban terrain, unlike anything that we've seen in recent years, is going to require some very fierce fighting. Uh, that is General Robert Abrams. He knows. Two miles in, he was in Fallujah and Mosul. Two miles in after four weeks at war, Israel on the ground in Gaza, blasting Hamas while trying to save hostages and avoid civilians. Uh, as ignorant anti-Israel, pro-Hamas rallies rage in major cities, especially here in New York, uh, where it's just so embarrassing. Fordham's going to have a vigil for Hamas and Palestinians, where Colombia as nonstop demonstration for Hamas and Palestinians and where the Brooklyn Bridge was closed by the same cause. It is embarrassing. Charlie Hurt, Fox News contributor, columnist for The Washington Times. I'm not only embarrassed, but stunned that this is taking place. Everywhere I turn, there's another. You brought up the storming of the province in Russia. 
of, as they hear the word gets out on Telegram that there was a plane landing from Tel Aviv. So they storm it. They try to kill these people, women and children mostly. And they grabbed the they grabbed one guy. They stripped him of his, of his passport. They took took his wallet away from him. They were and and you know and we don't know uh, you know we we don't even know what ended up happening to the guy actually. Um, no, it's it's absolutely appalling. I, I do think, though, one note of caution, I think that while, you know, what we are seeing on college campuses is absolutely despicable, I don't think that they represent a broad. What about uh, Brooklyn Bridge, though? Oh, uh, uh, either and, and the, nor does that represent a broad cross section of what Amer- the normal Americans think. And I think that that is why. You have people like Joe Biden who are freaking out, finally, for the first time ever, standing up to the squad and standing up to the wackos in their party, which they've never done. And they have no one to blame but themselves for this. So we watch. By the way, he makes his statement. And I think to a degree they were stunned that they're getting blitzed by the squad, destroyed. I mean, you're watching Elon Omar and Jayapal and uh, the other one, the other congresswoman, Tlaib. Which he's saying, Joe Biden warning him like he's Donald Trump, like she's done with Trump in the past. I think they're stunned by it. And then Josh Gottheimer called everybody cowards that voted present instead of a vote for sport for Israel. And this guy, Andre Carson, once fellow Democrat, wants to fight him, calls him a coward because you want to fight. We'll do this. You know, if you spend years, what, what, you know, Democrats call it identity politics, and it's all about ginning up racial division within the country and pitting people against one another and tailoring political messages for different uh, parts of their identity politics scam. And this is what you wind up with. And and they can't be surprised by it. I think it's kind of funny that they own all you know, Joe Biden owns all of this. He allowed all of this to happen. When you don't stand up to the race hustlers in your party, this is what you wind up with. And they have no one to blame but themselves. So I want you to the vice president again. How many times have we read this? Looking to rehabilitate our image, <laughs> doing a big interview, a big spread. Yesterday was 60 Minutes. The lightest Scott Pelley, who's trying so hard, who does a lot of really good reports, basically told Joe Biden the questions and the answers, would answer for him. And then he tries, time to interview the vice president. Cut three. How close is this to becoming a regional conflict that could draw in U.S. troops? We have absolutely no intention, nor do we have any plans to send combat troops into Israel or Gaza. Okay, period. That, that wasn't the question. Right. It wasn't the question. And we already have troops in the region. Kuwait, 13,000. Qatar, 10. Bahrain, 7. UAE, 3,500. Iraq, 2,500. And Syria, 900. What does she mean? That is a simple question. We're yeah. concerned about it. You've got to show strength. In that region to avoid an expanded war, and the more important question is why have you allowed, why did you greenlight six billion dollars to go to the country of Iran when they are funding this stuff? Why did you open the oil spigots in Iran to give them tens of billions of dollars worth of economic uh, 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 surplus that, that that they're able to spend on because we already emptied our strategic oil reserve and Venezuela wasn't ready to open it up yet. We've opened up Venezuela too in this ridiculous policy that he has. But they never get asked. Uh, they're not being asked this. Um, I love the the uh, another one of the questions, the sixty minutes questions was. 
why aren't you up by 30 points? As you know, you know, and, and imagine the split screen as the you know Middle East is turning to uh, war. People are can't afford homes, mortgages, and why are you not not up 30 points? Yeah. So you know what the answer is? We've done such a good job. We haven't done a good job telling everyone right. what a good job we're right. doing. So I, I've, I've, I find it interesting that we don't really hear much from Jared Kushner. But every day that goes by, Trump's foreign policy looks better. I always liked it. Uh, I had no problem with it. My problem was pulling uh, troops out of Syria uh, and abandoning the Kurds. But besides that, I love the stranglehold. You have to hear General Jack Keane talk. Out of everything he's done, he's apolitical. They have never seen such unrest and such uh, economic strangulation that was happening during the Trump years. So Josh Kushner, uh, uh, Jared Kushner, had a chance to speak about that, and he just outlined what they were able to do. And you uh, compare that to what uh, you compare that to what was done. I know I had it right here. Where is Jared Kushner? Yeah, cut it. Check this out. Listen to uh, Jared talk about what the difference is. This guy was actually in Saudi Arabia. Cut eight. I see every day, you know, people, uh, even people who are not in favor of Trump are realizing that under President Trump, uh, we had a peaceful world. Uh, people said when he got into power, he would create World War III. Well, uh, there were no new wars. Uh, he was making peace deals. The Middle East, which was one of the thorniest issues uh, for American diplomats and politicians and military for two decades, became a very peaceful place with a lot of momentum. And uh, in just a couple short years, uh, you've seen what happened when there's passive leadership and, and weak leadership uh, from America. America and the world. And, you know, we have uh, two massive wars that have the chance to metastasize further. He just laid it out. That's a fact. Yeah. There's nothing that's disputable. And, and, and we can have a lot of debates and, and everybody does about how to respond to these crises, whether it's in Syria or Ukraine or wherever. But one thing is indisputable, and that is that American prosperity and power abroad prevents bad things like this happening. Always. And, and you can and, and if you back up to uh, the, the shale revolution and the, the, the our explosion of energy production in the United States that made the United States energy independent. Um, that was what paved the way for Jared Kushner and the, and the Trump administration to go into the Middle East and come up with the Abraham Accords. It was it, it was all it all had to do with uh, American add, power and American prosperity. I'll add something else. Uh, Iran. And we realized when they realized uh, that they re- when they realized we realized that Iran was yep. the problem and, and they were willing to stand up to them. And remember, the Biden administration, both the current Biden administration and the previous Biden administration, being the Obama administration, sent billions of dollars to Iran. They, J- Joe, uh, John Kerry has spent the latter part of his, his life, his career devoted to giving Iran a nuclear bomb. They wanted to empower Iran to take over the Middle East. I, and, and by the way, what, did, what does John Kerry think is going to happen to Israel if you put uh, Iran in charge of the Middle East? And, uh, uh, and you're exactly right. Trump made that very clear. And uh, American prosperity at home and power, projecting power abroad, prevented all of these things happen, from happening. And the second Joe Biden came into office, uh, flipped the script on American energy independence, opened the oil spigots uh, for both Russia and Iran, what do you wind up with? You wind up with a Ukraine war and, and a war in Israel. See, if you explain to the American people why we have to increase the budget and where we're going to put our efforts in and what's going to be going on, 
you understand that peace through strength, and I'll give you all the examples. You treat us like adults. You don't right. say, well, we got to get right. out of Afghanistan. we got to get out of here. We can't get about, excuse me. If we get out, we're going to end up having coming back and doubling our, our uh, defense budget unless we project strength for our allies. It gives our allies a reason to feel secure. Like it or not, we are a superpower. We have earned that right because of uh, productive we have been, and we need a defense to reflect that. I, you know, one of the lessons I think that we have to learn from Iraq and Afghanistan is that you have to have a clear objective. And my criticism of, to this day of our efforts in Iraq and Afghanistan is that we didn't have a clear objective. If you can't take that and, – and one of the – and the great thing about politics is you have to be able to enunciate what that clear objective is. And if you can't take that to the American people, then you have no business getting Absolutely. involved in it. Yep. And, and, uh, and, and, this, and, and, and I wish that our leaders uh, would view this as an opportunity – to define what their clear objective is. And by the way, I would say the same thing. You know, obviously, neither one of us is elected to protect the state of Israel, uh, but I, I would I would give the same admonition to them. But they have to do what they have to do. They yeah. have to protect. They are a country and they have to protect their borders. I just love the fact that you let's do a two state socialist. I'm talking about it. Really? If Mexico just <laughs> just wiped out. 1,400 of our people in the most brutal way possible. Would you say let's get it, let's get a better relations and set up a terror uh, enclave in Mexico closer to our border? You, well, you know what Joe Biden would say? Joe Biden would say, yeah, you're right. He He's actually that stupid you, He because he has opened the borders to whether it's the fentanyl or the, the uh, human smuggling cartels, the drug cartels. He's opened the border to these people, and it's all – Pure insanity. So I, I really don't know how the Biden administration has the right to lecture anybody on any of this stuff. Yeah, I don't either. Uh, but this is where we stand. Uh, Richard Goldberg was on with Trey last night. He served as director for counter uh, Iranian weapons of mass destruction for the White House National Security Council. This is how he evaluated this situation. Cut 15. Why is Iran suddenly on offense to this extent? And the reason is we've had two and a half years of an appeasement posture, turning maximum pressure into maximum deference, maximum concessions, trying to chase after this regime desperate for a nuclear deal with the Islamic Republic of Iran. And so if today Tehran looks out at the Middle East and says Joe Biden still wants that nuclear deal, he hasn't snapped back the U.N. sanctions, he let the U.N. missile embargo expire, uh, he's not enforcing sanctions. We still have cash flowing to us, $10 billion from Iraq, $6 billion in Qatar. The oil sanctions not being enforced. The question would be, why is Joe Biden still doing that? They're still holding a candle that if this calms down, there will still be a nuclear deal. Could that be possible? Do they really think they can deal with Iran still? I think it's – I think without – I mean – you didn't have to be a brain surgeon to know what Iran wanted out of the nuclear deal in the first place. Yet John Kerry and Barack Obama and Joe Biden have spent the last 15 years pushing for this. They believe in this. They want Iran to have a nuclear bomb. They and and the entire the well, they say their objective is the opposite. They say their objective is we're going to, to give acquiesce them yes to give so they don't enrich. No, no, uh, up to the end of the the JPOA, but then at the end of that they're Ten on years. a glide path to get the bomb. Mm -hmm. It was the the whole thing was a fraud from the beginning. It was so they were trying to stall it until they gave it to them. 
That's not a solution. No. Well, how is that a solution? What again? Again, how do you go, look at the timeline of that of giving of allowing Iran to march towards getting a bomb, and then when it when when the the deal sunsets, they're they're going to try to hatch a new one. Well, no, at the end of it, they get the bomb. What's going to happen to Israel in that case? Well, they say the governor, uh, the general Petraeus, who was here yesterday uh, last week, said. That's why I was against it because of the sunset. But everything else he liked about it, which I thought was crazy. Number number two is that they thought after 10 years they're going to be so used to trade and being the family of nations they wouldn't need a nuclear bomb. But you heard what Saudi Arabia said. These people are lunatics. What the MBS said. MBS says if they get it, we're getting one. Basically, of course. Yeah, in two seconds. So. Yeah. Good it's, luck. Good luck, world. No, Saudi and, Arabia and, and Iran have nuclear weapons. And, and it's, it's an inability to understand human nature. They uh-huh. want – they think that they can hijack human nature, and you can't. Of course they're going to want a bomb. Joey Heard, where can we see you later today? Uh, I think we'll be – oh, Jesse tonight. Oh, you're going to play yourself? I'm, I'm going to be myself Charlie Jesse. Charlie Heard, I can't wait to see you with makeup. Back <laughs> in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. You have the current front runner for the GOP, Donald Trump, facing, what, 91 criminal charges? I've lost count. Yet, the Biden-Harris ticket is running neck and neck with Donald Trump. Why are you not 30 points ahead? Well, I'm not, I'm not a political pundit. When... The American people are able to take a close look at election time on their options. I think the choice is going to be clear. Bill, we're going to win. Uh, that is not going to be clear. Uh, also, trailing in Pennsylvania and Michigan, uh, in Georgia, almost every battleground state. Uh, Trump just running on his record, even if it doesn't say anything. Court cases aside, as he battles it out in Iowa, Nikki Haley moving up in Iowa, Ron DeSantis hanging out, but I guess he might be getting close because Trump's going after him. That was a little of the softest interview ever in 60 Minutes. Quick thank you guys to the New York Post did a good excerpt on the book, uh, Teddy and Booker T, uh, Two American Icons, uh, Blaze the Path to Racial Equality. Uh, it is coming out next week, eight days. And don't forget, I'll be in Red Bank, New Jersey, two days after on Thursday at the Vogel. Uh, everybody who comes to the show will talk about America, how it got great, essentially, and have a great time. Uh, everyone gets a book. Uh, then over in Ponte Vedra, uh, WOKV uh, listeners will be great up there. I'll be with uh, Mark A. Uh, and everybody else. I'll be at the Villages, Vero Beach, Madison, Connecticut, Brentwood. And you could also get tickets to other other live shows. So hopefully you'll join me. Uh, go view all the dates at BrianKillMe.com. And that's actually where you can get tickets, too. And you go to Ticketmaster as well. So BrianKillMe.com. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Gerard Baker of the Wall Street Journal. We're going to break down some of these economic numbers while you're not feeling it. And we're going to look ahead. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Why do they want a nuclear deal, Trey? Because they're afraid of having to confront Iran militarily if Iran tries to develop nuclear weapons. So again... The president can strike a couple of unmanned buildings in Syria and say, don't, don't, don't to the Ayatollah. But the Ayatollah is looking at the full chessboard and he sees a president that's actually deterred. And they're worried that the next person won't be. 
And that makes me think the action could get worse. That is Richard Goldberg served as director of accounting Iranian uh, weapons of mass destruction uh, for the White House National Security Council last team. With me right now is Gerard Baker, editor-at-large of The Wall Street Journal, host of The Wall Street Journal at large, uh, 7.30 on Fridays, and author of the book American Breakdown, Why We Do No Longer Trust Our Leaders and Institutions and How We Can Rebuild the Confidence. Uh, Gerard, is Richard Goldberg right? I mean, hitting a weapons depot in Syria? Okay, but that's the first in after 19 attacks, and there's been two since by Iranian-backed militias. Yeah, it reminds me very. It's, it's a pinprick, uh, Brian, and it has absolutely no deterrent effect. I think on on the Iranians. It reminds me a lot of, you know, remember in the Clinton administration back in the late 1990s when we had a series of escalating terrorist attacks against American targets, the USS Cole in particular, the embassies in Africa. We had two of those hit. And you remember what the the response was every time to those? It was they'd fire off a few cruise missiles. One supposedly hit a baby milk factory or something like that. You know, it, it wasn't serious, and that was Al Qaeda, by the way, of course, both those times. It wasn't serious. It didn't represent any kind of serious attempt to shut al-Qaeda down. We didn't do anything about what they were doing in Afghanistan. And, of course, what do we have? Two years later, we had, uh, we had, we had 9-11. And I worry that this, you know, that they sent, they're, they're probing. The Iranians are probing all the time. This Hamas attack, this Hamas atrocity, terrorist atrocity in Israel, you know, obviously was, 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 it was Hamas who was organizing it, but we should be under no doubt that it's, it was in Iranian interest to do it. What the rockets they're firing, Hezbollah firing from Lebanon, same thing. The missiles that have been fired from Yemen that the U.S. warships shot down a couple of weeks ago, they're probing everywhere and they're trying to see how serious this Biden administration is in terms of responding and whether or not they're going to give a serious response. And hitting a few weapons facilities, Brian, is not a serious response. And that's how the Iranians interpret it. What about the Wall Street Journal reports? I mean, you guys came out right away and said there were meetings in Beirut. Yeah. There were biweekly meetings yeah. with Hamas, Hezbollah, and Iranian officials, Al-Quds Force officials. And, and hundreds, and we reported last week, too, the news uh, journal reported last week, the hundreds of those fighters were trained in Iran with those paragliders and the various terrorists uh, weeks before October 7th. I mean, the Biden administration is clearly trying to deny that. You know, they keep saying, well, we haven't got actually any hard evidence. Well, do you know what Iran they said, which is nuts? We have uh, idea. We have some intercepts. Good intelligence. It shows they were surprised by the breadth and scope yeah, of the attacks yeah. and the timing of the attacks. Yeah, oh, really? Yeah. So you have an intercept. Yeah. You got these reporting. See what I would do if I was in the White House. If I, I talked to my intel guys, if they said no, I go listen. Can we reach out to the Wall Street Journal? Yeah. Where'd you guys get the story? <laughs> because I want to find out if it's right. Yeah. Very exactly. Very well sourced story. I think you saw the, the you know the sourcing the sourcing. So you're on confident it. in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I don't think there's any question about it. Look, I, and I, also the, what the Biden administration is doing is – I mean, first of all, that saying there were uh, people in the Iranian administration were surprised. Sure they were. I mean, I'm sure, you know, the transport were, the yeah. transport minister or the yeah. guy who's, you know, responsible for, you know, killing yeah, killing women on the streets for not wearing a, you know, wearing hijab or whatever. They probably didn't know about it. But that does. Of course, there were people in the government that were surprised by it. The key thing was, of course, Iran, we know, you can't on the one hand say we know that Iran has very close links with Hamas, has been funding Hamas, has been training Hamas, has close con- connections. Those guys in Qatar that are right there. You know, right next to Iran, have regular meetings with you. You can't, on the one hand, say that and say, oh, but we really don't know whether they had any involvement. This is the biggest terrorist attack 
anywhere since 9-11. And nobody it, doesn't think it was it was it was very well done. Of course, of course. It was incredibly well planned. I mean, terrible, terrible, evil. terrible security and intelligence lapse on the part of the Israelis. That's something else that's going to have to be accounted for at some point. But let's be clear where the blame lies. The primary blame lies with Hamas. Who's behind them? Who's sponsoring them? Iran. Now, look, the, the Biden administration is probably thinking, well, I know what it's thinking. It's thinking we don't want to provoke Iran. We don't want to get into a war. But that's exactly the way you do get into a – you create longer-term problems, right? Nobody wants a war. We don't want to go to war with Iran. Iran's a big country with serious weapons. It's got terrorist networks around the world. We don't want them blowing us all up. But if you continue to appease them like this when they do what they're doing, you are storing up an even bigger problem for the future. Sure. Tell me if you think this is a factor. We have allies in the region, and they're kind of concerned about Iran. So they say, well, who's got my back? America. Well, if America's not going at it, showing people that we're strong and willing to act and and not only show our muscle but use our muscle, they're going to say, listen, I'm going to cut deals. That's why there's a reproachment with Saudi Arabia and Iran, which, by the way, got nowhere, it seems. But we got to go out and show these people, here's your missile defense. And by the way, we know it works. Everybody wants it. So let's make it for profit, sell it to them. They can now defend themselves in Ukraine in Israel, in Taiwan, what are we waiting for? Yeah, uh, I agree. And the, you know, the, the exactly the the Biden, the Biden administration following on for the Obama administration. The Obama administration came in, and its entire foreign policy in the region. Once it had pulled out of Iraq in twenty twenty, no, you remember what they first did. They pulled out missile defense right. uh, from Poland. From, from Eastern Europe, exactly. Yeah, by the way, talking of, you know, and when we also, you know, we were going to have the great reset with Russia. And, of course, Obama famously said during the 2012 election, he'll have more flexibility to help Russia after that election. So, so yeah, absolutely. But what they did in terms of the Middle East, they pulled out of Iraq, um, you know, which is probably ultimately what the American people wanted and the right thing to do. Iraq was a mess. Timing was terrible. But they, what they did, timing was terrible in the manner in which they did it was terrible. But what they then did, they focused all their attention in the Middle East on getting that deal with Iran which, and what was that deal really about? It was about deferring Iran's nuclear capability by, in the end, a few years. And in exchange, we were going to give them, we were going to release all the economic sanctions on them. We were going to let their oil back onto global markets. We transferred, remember the $6 billion in pallets of cash? We basically, this administration, the Biden administration, the Obama administration appeased Iran in pursuit of this deal. Uh, Trump rightly pulled out of the deal, took a harder line with Iran, killed Soleimani, the head of the Quds Force, which I think terrified the Iranians, made them think, you know, they didn't know what they were dealing with, Biden comes back in and immediately goes back to the appeasement strategy. And what do you get? You get October 7th. All right. And you get a lot more financing. I wasn't putting this together, but Goldberg did. He said, wait a second. Actually, uh, Kushner did. He came out and he said, if you are taking oil off the market, you need it replaced in order to keep the price down. You can't get reelected if you don't keep the price of gas down for the American people. So you go cut a deal with the devil with Venezuela and then you allow the Iranian oil to flow on the global market. The, so that allows that price to be somewhat palatable. And what else did we do, Brian? We gave a finger to the Saudis when Biden came in, right? That's what we did. They raised Nation. Because of, you know, the Khashoggi killing, which was a terrible thing. No one defends it. And it was awful. Uh, you know, They're not condemnable. Perfect. They're terrible. I mean, you know, that, that was a terrible thing. But we have, a, we have to think bigger. You can't you can't subordinate your whole foreign policy to an outrage about a, a terrible you know a terrible crime that was committed. But what we that's exactly what we did for like a year and a half. We told the Saudis you're a pariah. We don't want anything to do with you. So what did they do? They start do, trying to do a deal with Iran. They start doing a deal with China. They bring in Russia. All those other and of course where does the U.S. now? The U.S. then scrambles you know a year later to say oh well actually we you know we are a friend and we would like you to do a deal with Israel. Too late. And then he shakes his hand, fist bump. I won't shake my hand with him. All that stuff. But you know what else it did? 
Houthi rebels are no longer a terror nation. Right. Houthi rebels were striking them with rockets on a daily basis. Right. I don't love the with their blockade and the, the amount of innocent people that that suffered. They were ham-handed in their approach, but they were defending their own border. Would we let Mexico just lob rockets over at right, us? Right, and right. plus, these renegades are financed by Iran. Yeah, so we said, no, you're legitimate. Yeah, they were the ones who fired the missiles last week, whatever it was, 10 days ago, that a U.S. warship had to, you know, had to, we still don't know, by the way, for sure, whether those missiles were fired at but Israel yeah. or whether they were fired actually at the U.S. war, at that, yeah, possibly at U.S. targets in the region. Look, We've been on the retreat. That's the reality, Brian. This is the terrible reality. We've been on the retreat in this region for, for no reason. For ten years. Yeah, America still got the most powerful military in the world. It's the only country that can project force way beyond its way beyond its shores. And instead, we've been timid and retreating and appeasing these. And, and Iran is Iran has become this incredibly powerful. And, and by the way, if we don't get behind Israel here, and if we don't get serious about tackling Iran, we're going to lose that region completely. And and you know what that means for Israel? Israel can't survive. In a, in a region in which Iran dominates, controls that region, it already controls Iraq, it controls Syria, it controls most of Lebanon, it controls the Gaza Strip, it controls Yemen. If it gets, if, if it is not stopped, it will completely control that region, and that is not a situation that Israel could possibly survive. So thousands of pro-Palestinian slash Hamas demonstrators flood New York City streets. Brooklyn Bridge, I'm sure you've seen the video. Mm. You see some pro-Israeli American Jews, I imagine, on the outskirts just horrified by this, the pro-Palestinian vandals spray-painted, plastered businesses with Zionism as terrorism, horrible things they read on the walls. They said they were going to do it, and tonight they're going to take over Fordham Law School. is going to be a big vigil, just ignoring October 7th. You can't tell me I expected what was going to happen at Columbia to the degree it's still happening. The fact that the president's not speaking out, I love that these big donors, a lot of them you cover the Wall Street Journal, mm-hmm. are going... You know, I gave you $50 million. Yeah. Now you get nothing. Yeah. yeah. I love it. The UPenn, same thing. Yale, Harvard. Yeah, they will survive. Yeah. But let, let people know that there's going to be hell to pay for this type of irresponsible actions. And this is all of a piece, Brian, with what we've seen at universities over the last 20 years. You know, this, isn't, this doesn't come out of nothing. It comes out of the corruption of our universities by these extreme left-wing, critical race theory, decolonization crazy, crazy, progressive ideologies that have taken over our universities. And, you know, you look at it, it. You see it in this terrible form, as you say, in all of these so-called demonstrations, these protests where, you know, Jews, are, uh, Jewish students are, 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 you know, barricading themselves into a room at Cooper Union or they're being told to stay home and not go out at the weekend, uh, you know, in Cornell or Cornell University, an Ivy League university, you know, because because people fear for their safety. The reason that's come about, Brian, is because we've tolerated this as I say, this corruption, this, this these depredations that have been made into our universities by these extreme level. You look at there's been a lot of really interesting stuff that have been published in the last few weeks about you know you cannot get a position now in an American university, an elite university, a regular state university, whatever, a regular university, unless you subscribe. It's kind of like having to make a, 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 a well, it's not kind of like it's you have to make an ideological commitment to all of these extreme left wing ideas about. Black Lives Matter and decolonization and critical race theory in order to get a job. And, not, and I'm not, not a job in gender studies or African-American studies, a job in life sciences or environmental sciences or even, you know, physics and medicine. You can't get a job unless you literally – because the diversity, equity, inclusion crowd actually – vet these applications and they rule out you always have, everybody has to make a diversity equity and inclusion statement and they rule out those that don't meet their you know left wing positions. Play this out. You're you're CEO and it's time for you to hire people and they're coming out of Columbia, Harvard, Yale and they know what you know. Yeah. 
And you say to yourself, not only am I not going to hire the professor, I'm not going to hire the student. True. And, and there's going to be a blowback on that. I interviewed Larry Fink, uh, BlackRock, on my podcast two weeks ago, largest you know, fund manager in the world, biggest uh, you know, financial institution in the world. And he said, we're not, you know, we've, we hire 600 graduates a year at BlackRock around the world. He said, we're not going to hire people who have been involved in this kind of hate speech. You know, good. Finally, you know, this is what's going to make this fine. I mean, it, I mean, it's kind of ironic, isn't it, that, we, you know, that free speech, it turns out, does come at a price, right? So we've been trying to get free speech back into universities in the last 10 years. 20, 20 years because they become so corrupt and so monomaniacal and so so extremely intolerant of any alternative view to that dominant progressive view. We've been trying to do that. And the only thing that's going to do it is, as you say, the donors pulling their money, the employers saying we're not going to hire you anymore. It's kind of ironic but necessary that actually it's going right. to take it's going to take the threat of losing your money and your students losing their job prospects for them to, to start you know, stop returning universities to what they are. Right now, universities are becoming manufacturers of hate speech. That's what they are. And it's, you know, that's, that's got to change. You know, I was just wondering, I was looking at my Palestinian calendar. I was wondering what month is Pride Month and Trans Rights Month. Do you know which <laughs> month is Pride Month? Because I wasn't able to see it. In yeah, the, I've got to go. I mean, and have a, my Arabic's right. not so good, so right. I'll, I'll have so to So maybe it's my fault, it. too. I don't, even, I don't even have a U.K. background like you do. <laughs> So I'm saying to myself, do people understand if you care about uh, equity and inclusion, you don't like anything they stand for. They should you, go. You I've, don't like anything they stand for. I would love to see uh, Cornell or Harvard or NYU establish a campus on the Gaza Strip, right, and have the, you know, the the – um, you know the LGBTQIA meetings, yeah, sure. and have the gender meetings, and have the you know the decolonization meetings, and all of these. You know, let them let them let them see how let them see how it is. the only country in the Middle East, Brian, as we well know, that tolerates um, you know a diversity of whether it's you know gender, sexuality, race, or whatever. The only country that does that is Israel, and this is the country they all hate. Right. It's uh, by the way, not everybody. And you know better than me. You're much more uh, global and cosmopolitan with a lot more international context, but. There's so many people in the Middle East that don't look at Israel as the enemy, but they know that their masses do. Mm. So they see the demonstrations in Jordan and Egypt on the streets, so they can't go too far. Although I'm totally let down by King Hussein, King yeah. uh, Abdullah. Abdullah yeah. you got to be kidding me. Yeah. Uh, the Egyptian al-Sisi goes, I'm not opening up my gates. Yeah. Can't set up even a temporary tent city on the other side if you care that much. Uh, and Turkey, why they're in NATO, I still don't understand. I know strategically they help us, but ideologically they could not be more uh, different. But if you have Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, Sudan, uh, the UAE, all signing on to the Abraham Accords, queued up possibly is Saudi Arabia. The, uh, the other smaller ones, Oman, will fall into place. That's anti-Iran. There's hope out there. Yeah, I still think those deals will be done eventually. I, look, the, the, those countries, the ones you mentioned, in this could be a convulsion. Jordan, Egypt, Turkey. They are they are exploiting. Let's let's call it what it is. They're exploiting the murder of 1,400 Israeli citizens for their own benefit because they've got their own problems. They've all got their own, especially in, you know, Egypt. Sisi came to power only after he'd pushed out, you know, the, the Muslim Brotherhood. Thank goodness, uh, you know, Yeah, and killed, you know, half and of their And that leadership. upset Obama. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, he, you know that he, that's, he, he's got tremendous pressure from the Arab street, as they call it, in Egypt. Same in Jordan. Turkey's, you know, obviously not an Arab country, but it has its own domestic political problems. They are exploiting this. For their own advantage. Right. You know, they can put themselves on the side of their people by, you know, saying these incredibly evil things about, about, about Israel. But you're right. I still think, look, in the end, as long as the United States is this – is, this is why this, this period is so key, Brian. As long as the U.S. stands by Israel, 
doesn't get carried away into this ridiculous both sidesism that you know oh Israel's killing people innocent people and um, you know Hamas is killing people so they're innocent people so they're really no different. There's a huge difference between the two. Stands by Israel, stands up to Iran. Then those countries like Saudi Arabia, maybe even Jordan, and certainly those other those other Gulf countries which have already signed up for deals with with with, with Israel. There's a chance I think that we can bring more of them back on board. But it's going to be a really really testing mm. few months. You sold a lot of subscriptions to the Wall Street Journal. That's how <laughs> that's how good you sounded. We're going to watch it. 7.30, buy your book, right. American Breakdown. Gerard Baker, thanks so much. Brian, thanks a lot. Thanks Back in me. a moment. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Everybody that leaves seems to be endorsing me. You know, people are leaving now and they're all endorsing me. I don't know about Mike Pence. He should endorse me. He should endorse me. You know why? Because, because I had a great, successful presidency, and he was the vice president. He should endorse me. Uh, by the way, that is the president of the United States, uh, former president of the United States, speaking in Las Vegas. I was watching, and all of a sudden, I'm watching Mike Pence, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, I was hoping to catch Trump, watch DeSantis, he was good. Uh, I watched Governor Burgum, a little bland. And then I'm watching Mike Pence, and I'm saying, wow, he's kind of fired up. He looks kind of emotional. And then he came out and basically said, that's it. It's not my time. And you know what? Quality man, quality candidate. I even think, I don't know if, if the bridge is burnt with Trump on both sides. But, I mean, you're going to tell me that if you're a Republican, you wouldn't want him in your cabinet? The guy is loyal as the day is long. He's got unbelievable experience. He's got great values, ethics, uh, knowledge. He gets it. So he's a good, good guy. But on the debate stage, it'll be Vivek, Christie, it'll be Haley, and right now it'll be DeSantis. I'm only using four fingers. I Right now, Tim Scott's not on the stage. That's the biggest surprise. And that'll be followed by Governor Bergram. Both have the donors. They need the pulse. So see, see what happens. Hey, uh, Teddy and Booker T comes out in one, eight days. Uh, you can pre-order it right now. You can also get it signed if you click on go to my local Barnes and Barnes and Noble, and then see me Thursday, November, Thursday, November tenth. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.